All right, hello and welcome to RealCom's second installment in our three-part, <clears throat> excuse me, three-part cybersecurity and privacy series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host for today's webinar, all about operational technology security or OT security. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. We have an excellent panel today and just tons of experience that will help you enhance your entire cybersecurity program. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items that will help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We want to hear from you, so don't hesitate to ask questions to this panel. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if they don't get answered during the webinar, we'll follow up you, with you once the event has concluded. You'll find today's presentation, last week's IT Cyber presentation, and a more comprehensive presenter bio in the handout section of your GoToWebinar control. We've also included a framework of Alvirio Energy's cybersecurity policies to provide some guidance on this topic. And they'll talk, probably talk a little bit more about that as we get into it. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. If your building security measures seems like they're in the upside down, don't watch Stranger Things on Netflix. Watch us, you'll, you'll learn a lot more here. If you are experiencing technical issues though with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link and join again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything because all registered guests and participants will receive a webinar recording link later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding technology partners, 5Q. They are commercial real estate and technology experts. 5Q understands the intricacies and inner workings of commercial real estate's legacy technology systems, and they provide technology and cybersecurity management in all CRE sectors. Alberio Energy is a world technology provider with solutions designed to optimize building value, comfort, efficiency, security, and reliability. They design, engineer, install, commission, and maintain building systems that are integrated through streamlined operator interfaces. And VUE is a leader in smart windows and building technologies that improve human health and experience, reduce energy consumption and carbon emissions, and generate additional value. Let VUE help you create the optimal human experience in your buildings. We are grateful for the many contributions of these service providers to our industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers in sessions like these. If you have any discussions in your business about your managed service provider, thinking maybe of changing your MSP, or you're just not sure where to go next to make your building systems efficient, secure, reliable, give these vendors a call and they'll help you get straightened out. And finally, our moderator is Andres Rodriguez, National Manager for Building Connectivity at Quadril. Welcome, Andres. Thanks very much, Chuck, appreciate it. Hey, and I noticed in your in your bio too, we could have added you're one of the leaders on the real estate cyber consortium. And uh, uh, I am gonna put a link in the chat to that for all of our viewers, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? 
Sure, appreciate that, uh, Chuck. And uh, and yeah, I, I would use leaders uh, lightly. Uh, there are many members on there which uh, who are very senior. I have about uh, nine years experience myself, but there's some with uh, you know upwards of 40 years plus. Um, so so uh, you know it's a great it's a great committee, which uh, is uh, obviously focused on real estate. And uh, and we meet you know every month or so. There's great guest speakers. Um, you know, there's a few panelists today which are on the uh, consortium as well. So, so definitely a good resource uh, uh, for all your cyber needs from a real estate perspective. Yeah, I think that's probably a good mention. And so for all of our viewers, uh, be sure to take a look at the link. And uh, uh, they usually have representation at any of the conferences. Uh, and and it's, it's a good place to just interact with those groups. So, all right, you got a great panel and a, a ton of information. I'm going to get out of your way. And uh and uh, enjoy. Can't wait to hear from you. See you. Right on. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, and yeah, I'm Andres Rodriguez. Uh, I work with the Quadrial uh, Property Group. Uh, I'm the, the National Manager of Building Connectivity. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Quadrial, uh, we're a global real estate investment operating and development company. Um, we serve the pensioners of BCI and their roughly uh, $70 billion uh, of assets under management. Um, roughly half of that in uh, domestically in Canada and, and half internationally, um, you know, U.S. and, and abroad. Um, and, uh, and yeah, our team, our digital innovation team at Quadrille, I feel, is, is awesome. Um, you know, we, we are a small team, but we have great leadership. Um, you know, we have great partners that we work with. So I feel very confident in our group, um, uh, you know, as we execute on, on, se on several fronts. And one of those obviously being the OT security front. Um, uh, now, now it's obviously a, a long journey, which I don't really foresee it having an end, if you will. Um, so there's there's uh, there, there's definitely an approach um, that we take, which I would consider, um, you know, a, a layered approach. Um, so um, we have several tools that we use um, uh, to, to our advantage. Obviously, uh, we we are always seeking new and better ways to serve the to serve our properties and, and, and try to automate as many things as we can um, and and with that being said um, you know this uh, this type of uh, model serves uh, our one of our strongest assets which which is commercial so we typically try everything out if you will um, you know on on that uh, level, on that type of asset um, but you know different types of assets have different kinds of uh, budgets right so there's retail assets that we that we own and operate there's residential assets that we own and operate and, and industrial as well, um, and uh, as as the commercial one is the one that we uh, test everything out on, we we, we typically have a, a pilot first approach as well. Now uh, we don't typically um, do I would say a short pilot. Most of them are, are at the very least three months. Some of them are even upwards uh, of a year as as we work to understand how the tool will, will effectively help us at, at all of our properties. Um, and uh, and Quadril isn't well, Quadril has a very large IT group as well. Um, within that IT group, we have uh, a cybersecurity team. So, so we do uh, leverage uh, their knowledge, uh, and their experiences uh, when we develop um, when we develop our own plans or, or when we're uh, considering different tool sets. So, so we definitely use uh, what uh, what they've already had experience on. You know, not only a Quadril but previously to 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 work on our OT uh, our OT security strategy. Um, Kind of touching a bit on, on on the on the on the modular approach, um, uh, we we do obviously have to take into consideration budgets, like like everybody does. So so from 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 that side of the house, uh, we when we do look at different types of tools, 
uh, we also uh, perhaps select a couple of different tools because some obviously cost more than others. So we have to understand uh, what, what our budgets are in order to, to serve the properties appropriately. And, um, and, and standardizing on, on um, you know, our tool sets also helps uh, reduce our, our complexity and, and makes things um, easier for us to, to coach uh, our, our number of users at, at our, our various assets. Um, Ian, if you don't mind uh, kicking us over to the to the next slide, um, I'll uh, I'll speak more about our our plan, which uh, again touches on uh, this the security the security layers that we have, um, you know, or, or consider uh, at Quadrille. So, at the core of all of this is is the data, right? So so whenever we're thinking about any kind of layer or or any kind of discussion, we really need to understand what is the most important thing to us and and how people are, are accessing. The data. Um, so, so that is, for the most part, in this discussion, is how we operate our, our buildings, right? So, so how are we how are we effectively tying into that, and how are we using that data once it's once it's stored? So, you know, uh, we we standardize like like most folks do um, on uh, on on the workstations and servers. Um, we have you know a, a standard of, of acceptable uh, operating systems, and we obviously try to. Uh, have those at the right firmware level or the preferred firmware level or our OS level um, so, so that uh, you know we have a consistent approach there and all, all things being equal should be the same across the board at any of our assets. Uh, we also try to standardize as well or, or simplify things by using the same types of applications so that it's easier for our operational teams to then uh, move over to a different building uh, um, you know, with a, with a group like ours being, um, you know, spread out across Canada, sometimes uh, there are instances where people move buildings and uh, having similar types of controls or similar type of approach uh, makes it easy for those users to, to transfer their skill sets and knowledge to a different environment. And, uh, and with, with that, there's also uh, our internal controls. So um, we have, obviously there's, there's many elements to a building and, and how, you, uh, how you access those different elements. Is, is something that's handed down to the users so that they know how to, to access you know, CCTV or BMS or, or so on and so forth. And, and understanding that you know, there's no need to, to jump on to the BMS server to get to CCTV. Although it seems like a fairly simple guiding principle, um, you know, some folks like to, to jump on a machine to, to get to other things. And, and if it's a simplified approach, then, then there's no mistakes or it's easier not to make mistakes. Um, Sorry, perimeter protection and how those folks access from the perimeter is is also standardized. So so we have uh, implemented um, a similar approach from from an infrastructure perspective, um, using similar types of hardware and 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 using the same um, uh, authentication methods to gain access to the buildings and and coaching users as well helps on the human firewall side. So as I mentioned before, on our cyber team. Um, uh, what we have there is we have um, our, our teams there help uh, guide our users with phishing campaigns, et cetera. And on our policy and procedure side, we work with them as well. Again, on the cyber team, on our cyber incident response plans, that's just a simple policy, not a simple policy, but one that, that, that takes a lot of things or a lot of cues from, from the IT team. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's it from, the, from, from my standpoint. Um, uh, I'd like to bring in, um, Byron Lopez now. Uh, Byron, our, uh, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, Byron is the Director of Operations Technology at Kilroy. How are you doing today, Byron? Can I address yourself? Thank you for having doing, me. Doing great, thanks. Kick it over to you, sir. Cool, thank you. Uh, 
so killer strategy um, is an implementation of both our physical and cyber uh, physical connections, right? One of the big things that we wanted to address with our OT policy was how does the physical environment affect how the building operates and the data that's being produced out of there. So uh, a few years ago, and, and many of you guys have heard of Kilori, or may have heard of Kilori, we're a, a large REIT primarily based on the West Coast, San Diego to Seattle, and recently opened uh, assets in Austin. Uh, over 14 million square feet under management, uh, a bunch of construction and development happening uh, specifically in the San Francisco and Austin area. So uh, fairly large assets, all class A commercial real estate. Um, and we have tenants who are very, very, very technical, very smart, and we're looking for a policy for us to be able to implement and secure our buildings. So we took an approach of seeing what were the high priority items within our assets? Where do we need to secure? produce and develop a plan so that our buildings are operating the same way that our corporate infrastructure has done it for decades, right? We have, we created two different teams, our standard corporate enterprise team who manages all of the corporate services, emails, phone systems, um, shares, all that stuff. And then we have an OT team within the IT department where we work closely with both, uh, with IT to be able to develop the policies for the building. So what we did is we took a look at the use cases at the incidents what was going on at the building level to be able to develop a policy that would help us plan a long-term roadmap for the buildings, uh, create a steadiness for that asset. And not just one asset, but all of our assets, be able to create a foundation, a structure where we can then develop a plan from the bottom up, right? The foundational piece for us was huge, uh, being able to do the cyber physical connections of the building to be able to say, look, the BMS system, has this type of software, but what is it connecting to? What are the PLCs downstream? What are the devices that it's going through? What is the policy that it's using? So figuring out all those pieces and, and coming from an IT side into the OT side was a bit of a challenge, but being able to leverage our vendors and our partners who have been in that space for a very long time was very critical. So it helped us create a policy where we have a matrix of usable and standardized devices for the building. A solution guideline of, if we're looking at software, these are the physical implementations that they should have, right? If a software company is looking to pull data from you, how are they pulling that data? Where is the policy going? Where is the data going for them? And how are we structuring that information to be able to go from point A to point B securely? Uh, and that's kind of how we structured our buildings, right? But the biggest implementation, the foundational piece of our implementation was the actual physical side of the building, right? Because that ties into everything. So as part of our uh, overall strategy, we created a converged network that allows all of these subsystems to be able to run on one platform designed by us, maintained by us, and structured by us so that we have control. Uh, we're able to then tell you, you know, access control systems, you're on this specific switch, on this specific port, on this specific VLAN, and this is a subnet for that. Uh, BMS, you're on the same equipment, right? We're virtually separated. Uh, and then we're able to then take that and grow the building systems and not have uh, too much crossing, like Andres mentioned earlier, right? Some people want to jump onto the BMS to connect to the uh, access control of the camera system. That we don't do, right? Everything has its own segregation. And if there's east-west traffic that needs to happen, then we manage that within the building to make sure that there is no cross-pollination of systems that should not have any information, right? Your uh, water detection system should never look at your camera system or your access control system, right? Those should be kept separate unless you have a policy that you've implemented uh, to use any side of augmentation and strategy. But the great thing was that a lot of the standards that we've developed are now being used by our GCs and now being used by our development team to start the project off, right? So now they're knowing, they understand how our, our sites are operating. Uh, 
they know where to connect the devices and we have a policy that we can now give our subcontractors and say this is how we want you to set it up these are the guidelines these are the permissions these are the username and passwords for each package building this is how it should be set up and then allows us to be more transparent and allows us to provide access to our tenants if needed to data as uh, and keep that secure um, we are also then able to take that specific building network and at a large scale connected to our SD-WAN solution, right? So we are now able to scale patching, able to scale uh, connectivity. We are now able to say, look, that data should be going from this specific uh, VMS video management system to this cloud solution that we are now aggregating uh, access to. Uh, our data center is able to then oversee all the assets that in the past may have had individual servers. We got rid of that information or those devices and then converged them into one site so that we can then manage that a little bit better, right? Historically, most of these buildings had been silos, right? The building engineering staff was responsible for maintaining that, but they were not IT or OT, they're OT experts, right? They're, they're the guys who are operating the building day in, day out. But when it came to infrastructure networking, they were relying on other people who may, may or may not had their best interests in mind. Uh, so now we're able to come in there, work with them, look at their long-term roadmap and figure out where do they want to go with that. We're then able to develop uh, that cyber physical policy that we were really looking for, right? Now that we have the foundation, we're able to take all those infrastructures and really put it into real world implementation. So as an asset comes out of the ground, it comes out with our Kilray OT standard network and infrastructure. As it gets retrofitted or picked up, it goes back to that standard and then we go back and replace all the equipment. So for us, the biggest piece was that physical cyber connection, uh, where we, providing data to people and how are we making sure that, that data is secure, crosses our internal building safely, and that we're not having any issues where people are connecting to willy-nilly devices and pulling that information or trying to harm our sites. Uh, but yeah, I think if, if anybody has questions, Andres, I'm happy to answer anything that we might be able to, to say or, or discuss further. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, Byron. Um, one thing that did uh, come to mind for me um, was was something that you mentioned uh, about standardization. And um, and I, I'd just like to know maybe if you can speak a bit more to how it's impacted maybe your day to day operations or, or new development. I mean, it's it's been good for us right? because in the past you would have people go out and bid contracts and the equipment that was there was just, you know, whatever they can pull off the shelf, right? Whatever was fastest, put it in there. Uh, and then that would create headaches for our teams down the road, right? When we had to either upgrade or patch or say, look, we, we want to put in the solution in place or we want to go with, let's say, um, 4K cameras that can do facial recognition or appearance recognition. That requires a certain amount of, of power in the switches, right? You can't just have anything that just, you know, you can't have a 10 by 100 switch. You have to have something that does gig or better. Uh, so being able to standardize across the board allowed us to deploy connectivity faster and allowed us to make sure that all of the systems that we have in the building are connecting to a robust infrastructure. Uh, it's made it easy for our construction team also to go out there and bid it out. So they have a packet that they don't have to figure out what system do I want, what device. Here's the packet that we give to our GCs. You bid on that packet and then you let us know, you know, what's available, what's not. If there needs, sometimes there's changes needed, right? Because, you know, a tenant might have a certain requirement, uh, but for the most part, we try to do best in class equipment. So uh, our our standards usually are better than what the tenant's requiring. Awesome. So I, yeah, with with that being said, um, and I think you already maybe touched on it. Um, I guess you have a cut sheet, if you will, or or, or a list of equipment that is like a preferred vendor uh, when you go to RFP. Is that what I'm gathering? Correct. Correct. We have a 
a matrix for every system, right? So our matrix of preferred access control systems, our matrix for water detection, our matrix for um, BMSs, right? So we give that to construction and our development team so they can go out there and, and provide it to the GCs. Uh, and then they can bid that out. And we know that it's not going to be something different from our standards, right? We have a standard Linnell system that we prefer that we operate on. That means that that vendor, whoever's going to bid on it, it's not going to give us uh, Genetech or AMAG or Secure. They're going to give us Linnell, and that's what we want, and we know that's what we're going to get. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, and and maybe you can speak to uh, and 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 I may be wrong in this in this in this, but uh, I believe you were mentioning that your IT and OT teams do have some some crosstalk, or or they work together. Is, is that true? Oh no, for sure. So I originally come from the IT team uh, within Kilroy, right? And about five six years ago. Uh, everybody was scared, right? The, the target hacked, all these things are happening. So Killer really focused on how do we provide resources from IT into OT, and that's where my role was created. I had some familiarity with mechanical engineering, uh, building systems, development, construction, so it kind of fit for me to be able to go in there. So I brought in the IT side, merged it with my background in ME and, and other stuff, and was able to run with that, right? So, but I sit within the IT department, my boss is the head of uh, enterprise applications, right? We report directly to the SVP of IT, and my partner, uh, my counterpart on the IT side, the director of networking and computer systems, we talk on a daily basis, right? We sit right next to each other. So whatever he's doing to support the infrastructure for corporate, I can take from there and vice versa, right? Because we are, we're, when a problem happens, we're all IT and it's all a, a you know, network jack. And whether that's a building or corporate servers, uh, we're all responsible for it. So it's, it's a synergy between us. Awesome. Thanks, Byron. And, and did you want to maybe touch on anything? I know you're one of the REC members and maybe anything you need to Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, a lot of us are participating in the REC to be able to share standards and be able to share ideas and, and see what we're doing. Just like you guys mentioned, you guys do pilots. I reach out to Thano and, and ask him, hey, you're looking at this vendor. I might look at them. What do you have to say, especially because we're, we're REC members and we have you know, certain agreements in place. Here. So if anybody's looking to grow and expand, I highly recommend reaching out to the REC, reaching out to Charles and seeing, you know, what, uh, where you can participate in and grow with us. Awesome. Thank, thanks so much, Byron. Really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to bring in uh, Sandy. Uh, Sandy, are you uh, are you uh, available? Uh, Sandy is the, um, sorry, apologies, folks. Sandy is the, or Sandy Shadchair is the Director of uh, Building Technology in the Services Division, uh, part of the Office of IT at GSA. Uh, can you hear me okay, Sandy? Thank you. Hi. Okay, Hi, everyone. awesome. Take it away. All right. Um, I'm going to start with. All right. So before I get started, I wanted to kind of give a little overview of the General Services Administration in case um, uh, uh, some folks are not familiar with it. Uh, we're the landlord of the federal civilian government. The Public Building Services, or PBS, um, owns or leases about um, 800, uh, 880. Uh, 8,800 assets, and that's about 370 million uh, square feet of workspace for over 1 million uh, federal employees and contractors. Um, and that effectively makes us one of the largest uh, landlords. Uh, the Federal Acquisition Services, or FAS, which many folks are familiar with, is dedicated to procuring goods and services for the federal government. Um, the average annual budget is $10 billion. Um, so um, before I want to get started, kind of to um, lay the landscape, um, the building systems, you know, I want to talk about some of the challenges that we've seen for those of us who are in the OTIT realm. 
um, you know, and then I'll go into our cyber journey and um, uh, highlighting um, some of our best practices. And really before we kind of get started is that um, the, the line between IT and OT is pretty gray. Um, when, you know, building systems were meant to be installed and last for 20 some years, but then once systems became um, IP based, they became IT systems. But, but still, when something bad happens or when the building system goes down, there's a you know, cyber incident, it really, it's easy to, for this to become a finger pointing, it's the IT's fault, no OT, you know, so it's, it really, that doesn't serve anyone well. And I would say that's one of the main things that um, we, you know, has, it's very important to overcome um, uh, in order to be successful. Um, the, you know, for traditionally, um, you know, I, IT, IoT environments were have been managed independently, um, you know, in the shadows, so to speak, without any security or IT oversight. And um, it, the, the OT environment has become a very easy target for cyber incidents because it's very easy to exploit vulnerabilities to, um, you know, use that as a vector to get into the system and then from there um, gain access to the enterprise system, you know, as we saw with the target incident and wreak havoc and, you know, it can look very bad for the organizations. Um, and so for it, and for it's the keeping up with cyber compliance, you know, it's very difficult for um, the manufacturers and vendors because it seems like it's constantly evolving. It's a moving target. Um, you know, a system that is secure today will have a vulnerability tomorrow. So it's like a never ending game to constantly keep compliant. And for those of us, at least I can speak for it on the IT side, is that it seems like um, in, in, in many respects that IT is, a, is an afterthought or security is an afterthought. And, you know, uh, I feel like time spent on um, security is time not spent on features and functionalities of systems. So IT is really viewed as a hindrance in many respects because at the end of the day, the op building operators want to have a building that, you know, it's comfortable for their tenants and, um, you know, that they don't have to get hot or cold calls because the network is down and they don't want to have an angry judge at their, at their doorsteps. Um, and for a lot of times, the vague security language or inconsistently across organizations or industries about what is, is what, what's considered secure, even within the federal government, because, you know, depending on what the mission, the agency mission is, there's level, different levels of tolerance when it comes to what's secure and what's not secure. Um, so now to what we've done in the past 10 plus years, um, clearly we've been pretty busy. Um, lots of work to still be done, but I'll quickly highlight the things that we've done in the past few years. Really, our journey began with, you know, once the, we started seeing a lot of systems, you know, needing to get connected to the network, is to establish a policy that was, um, you know, jointly uh, signed off by executives across our agency. That policy soon began, was developed into more of a comprehensive guidance that um, prescribed um, all the requirements for interconnectivity from, you know, um, obviously all the security requirements to uh, uh, cabling length and, and, you know, what our network risers need to look like, um, what systems are allowed to be on a network, what are not allowed to be to connected to the network. Um, we um, built an in-house lab at our, uh, at the GSA headquarters in Washington, D.C., where we would receive the devices and software and we would scan them, assess them, do vulnerability testing, test them before we allow them to be connected to the network. 
Um, we knew early on none of this would be successful without a collaboration uh, with our business line in PBS. Um, I have a very good relationship with my counterpart in PBS, Anna Rossen, who has frequently appeared on uh, Realcom webinars and has been a guest speaker, as well as her predecessor, Chip Pierpont. We meet regularly, we collaborate on projects together, um, you know, business cases, do anytime we want to throw out a new, you know, cyber or security or IT uh, uh, process that we want to roll out, we work together and not just you know, have IT um, send it and, you know, require everyone to follow it. Um, putting together an inventory of building system is crucial because, you know, without knowing what you have in your environment, then you have no control of what you have in your environment. So having that um, inventory of what's connected where, the IP addresses, MAC addresses, what building, what switch, what port they're connected to is very important. Um, we started having regular cadences with major manufacturers where we have systems on the network. Um, and um, so that way we talked about end of life components and you know some of the security issues that we we're having. Um, we have started having building recovery exercises and incident response exercises where we um, you know simulate an outage or an incident, a security incident, and we want to make sure that we know how to manage it properly and uh, you know in timely fashion. And we've had different iterations of our building systems network. Um, and, you know, we've started adopting the zero trust architecture, you know, not trusting anyone or anything. Um, so a lot has been done, obviously a lot more to do, uh, but the, you know, there's been changes in the OT industry with the cloud components. Um, so a lot more to do. Um, so that, that's where we are, that's where we are so far. Happy to take any questions, Andreas. Yeah, that's all. This is a great slide. Um, you know, obviously, you guys have been uh, at GSA have been extremely, extremely busy. Um, maybe you can, maybe you want to touch more on on that journey. I mean, you 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 have or your company has you know so many assets under management, so much square footage. I'm sure it's uh, it's a well-oiled machine over there. But maybe you can touch more on on that cybersecurity uh, and IT OT journey. Sure, yes. I mean, it, it's been definitely, as I said, a, a journey. I mean, it's it's very much iterative. I mean, because, um, you know, if we wanted to leave it to security folks, it's like, don't connect anything, don't remote into anything. And obviously, our mission, and especially my division, and, you know, we are here to make sure that there's continuity of operations. GSA is all about innovation. You know, we test cutting edge technology. Um, so we can't have that. So, but it, you know, it has to be a balance between you know the cybersecurity requirements and in terms of you know all these new things that we want to test and these new uh, uh, things that we want to do to collect data and so forth. Um, so that's been you know one thing that we've had to overcome and you know, uh, to make sure that everybody's on board. That and the lesson learned here is that it's not there's no silver bullet. There is no one thing that you can do to overcome this. Um, it's a multi-pronged approach and you need to have all parties engaged. It's not just one group that can do it uh, down to the building manager level to, you know, to the executive of the agency. Everybody has to be aware of the risk and co-own that risk. Um, so I think that's been one a big lesson that we've learned and, and we've, I think, been success, very successful at it. Got it. And I guess probably, um, you know, with... With that many with that many buildings, you probably have a long list of, of, of vendors that you that you deal with as well. So, are, are there any challenges that you face on that on that side, on the vendor community side? Yes, absolutely. We have a lot of um, different systems, manufacturers, makes and models, and 
Um, at first, it was difficult, especially when we, um, you know, as I mentioned, we put that um, security lab that we built it. Um, we would scan the devices or software, and then we would reach out to the manufacturers and say, you know, you know, we, we've identified these vulnerabilities. We need to make sure that those are addressed before your system is allowed to be connected to the network. And we wouldn't hear anything back at first, but now I can say that we've gotten a lot more engagement and we've actually gotten mature enough in the process is that we're more proactive that, you know, when we assess things, we have a requirement to to reassess devices or software after three years or if, if there is a dot .o release and so forth. So when we meet, we talk about these components, if their security vulnerabilities are not getting addressed, we escalate it at the headquarter level, not just like at the project level. Um, so that's been great. I mean, uh, one thing that we do still see is that sometimes it seems like, you know, if, if security, if they would do the scanning or if they would do their own in-house assessments, or maybe they are, but maybe some more robust tools, then they would identify those security vulnerabilities as part of the product management lifecycle. Uh, and then we wouldn't have to be, you know, kind of addressing it retrospectively. And that probably takes more time and energy than if they were had that security requirements in mind, maybe at the onset. Right. Yeah. I'm sure lots of time and energy went into building that lab out. That's very cool. Um, thanks. Thanks so much, Sandy. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce Corey Clark. Um, uh, um, so thanks so much, Sandy. We'll, we'll get you back up at the Q&A. Um, Corey is the Senior Director of Product Management at VIEW. How are you, Corey? I'm good. Thanks. Excellent. I'll kick it over thanks to you, sir. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, really glad to talk about the trends we're seeing from our side. Uh, let's see if I can get this working. Oh, there we go. Um, so, you know, if you know Vue, uh, you may know us as a smart glass company. We are a lot more than smart glass. We're a full spectrum of smart building technology company. So we make smart glass, but we also make uh, full building networks uh, as well as OT security platform. Actually, the one that uh, Byron was showing, they had an orange box in the top left of his uh, charts um, and our own data platform. Uh, and because we make all of these, we make our own devices and networking, we we get to see a lot of the security challenges firsthand. You know, we had to go through Google certification for our devices. Uh, and then on the OT security and, and platform side, we also get to see how customers are adopting OT and IoT and how they're securing that. Um, you know, and the challenges we're seeing, you know, is that there is this headlong rush into embracing IoT and data to transform buildings. Uh, but the flip side is that as we bring all these devices and buildings online, you know, owners and operators are opening themselves up to risk, uh, both from a financial and, and, and reputational uh, perspective. And that, you know, that, that risk that's getting opened up is kind of creating this push and pull. Uh, you know, we're seeing on one side the, the drive for data security. Uh, you know, Andreas mentioned like uh, optimized protection and trying to balance security and availability. So on this one side, we're seeing that data security, making sure that nothing gets out. You know, the easiest thing is just air gap your building and, and, and lock everything down. But on the other side, we have, you know, the, the challenges of data availability and, and they're pushing and pulling. People want secure data, but they also want to be uh, fully available. Uh, and what we're starting to see is instead of this being an either or uh, that people are starting to embrace, embrace edge cloud as a way to get the kind of yes and and so edge cloud uh what is it um it's it's bringing the cloud down to the edge so so far the transformation real estate has been more around taking things that are on premise and moving up into the cloud this is the reverse some people call it fog computing it's it's the cloud uh down on the ground 
Um, the first component of that is compute at the edge, and that's nothing uh, kind of too new. You know, people were doing that with JSON boxes and, and on-premise BMS systems, anything that has compute. Um, but layer on top of that, containerization. Uh, so this is virtualizing those applications, putting them inside a box that's running kind of virtually uh, on uh, that edge compute, and it gives you the flexibility of moving things to and from the cloud, but also gives you a boundary um, for providing security. Uh, and then, uh, so there's clustering. Uh, it's taking all those uh, compute devices and actually clustering them together um, so that you don't have just a single device, but you have you know, three or more that are fully redundant, resilient, able to kind of operate at scale. Um, but also that means that it's, uh, it's basically a fully functioning cloud at the edge. So if um, you lose your WAN, it can continue to operate and sync up with the cloud uh, in the future. Uh, and then the last piece is this cloud management, actually having this whole thing tethered to the cloud um, so that you have kind of flexibility, you can move things up and down from the cloud and you have full visibility as well. Uh, so you have the kind of control that you normally associate with the cloud, but it still has that edge compute that you kind of associate in the security you think of with, with on-premise computing. Um, so just wanted to talk about some examples of what we've seen. Um, you know, this is something that's I think is kind of new to the industry and just starting to roll out, but we have some use cases. Um, so one is just the ability to quickly deploy agents and applications from the cloud on-premise. You can kind of do it on a whim in the same way that you, you know, just install an app on your phone to try it out. Uh, so we have customers that are just testing these things out. One, you know, deploy just a small application that continuously monitors, looks for new devices and, and see what's coming on the network and make sure that the ones that are there are, are online um, and discovered with one building that their BMS vendor had kind of assumed the building was air gapped and had all 1500 devices completely open for read write. Um, and so, you know, they were able to use this cloud tool to kind of discover this new security vulnerability and lock things down. Um, we also have, you know, a corporate occupier that's um, using the edge cloud to reduce their hardware footprint. Uh, normally, if you want to kind of add technology like switch automation, SkySpark, they'll probably put a box in your basement, connect it, they own that box. It's another kind of security risk. Um, with containerization, any kind of cloud native application can be containerized, run on your cloud at your edge and give you full control. So we're starting to see that with a lot of our Customers, they're not allowing boxes to get installed. They insist that it gets installed on their edge cloud so they have that edge connectivity, but also all the visibility. Uh, and then the last is um, being able to kind of extract data <clears throat> easily once you have this robust edge compute. So um, with uh, kind of cloud edge, you have multiple compute devices. So you have a lot more kind of processing power. So one of our customers is using that to take all their video footage and process it at the edge. So looking at the security cameras and doing counts of people for, and also getting visitor wait times and elevator wait times and then mining that data. They're actually able to kind of change their elevator schedules and adjust their security staffing. Um, so that's it. I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities there to kind of use the cloud edge, but just wanted to tease that out. Yeah, great, great use case there at the end there with the, with the cameras and something that, that we're looking to, to implement as well. So. Thank you very much, Corey. Um, uh, maybe something that, that I have uh, more interest in is if you can perhaps uh, better define how Edge Cloud is different than putting just you know a field controller or, or a JSON box right into the building. Yeah, yeah. I think one is that that clustering. So it really 
you know, it's not just a single box, but it's multiple boxes kind of tied together uh, and, and behaving as one. So you have that uh, level of abstraction that you have, uh, you know, typically associated with the cloud. You know, it's different, like having something in the cloud is different than having something co-located where it's your server. Um, so it gives you this resiliency and scale, uh, the high availability you expect um, and, and you need uh, at the edge. Um, and then the other is probably the controls because of containerization. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that was going to lead lead me to, to to my next question is is you know we talk about cloud and uh, and obviously it's 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 tough to go full cloud um, you know just because of that resiliency and robustness piece um, uh, maybe you can speak more to to that as well um, you know from a from a hardware perspective and from a like a WAN or network perspective um, uh, how how that works uh, or, or like how you how you can uh, you know continue with those critical functions in the buildings. Um, you know, with that hybrid look. Yeah. So I think the nice thing about this is, you know, you you can do it even without any connection, without any WAN, because it is ultimately you're configuring a cloud on premise. Um, so it is multiple devices working together. Um, so you don't have that concern about resiliency. If you want control and, and the centralized visibility, you can have a small tether up to the cloud that kind of lets you see down in there. But it's not critical for operations. If that goes down. It's okay. This thing is still going to run at the edge, as you would expect. Um, but then, yeah, that that tether gives you that visibility. So, okay, cool. Um, uh, at Quadro, we we have our own uh, occupancy uh, a play, if you will, um, and 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 some of the environments uh, would uh, would lend themselves to having complete anonymization, uh, like in and out of, of different elevators or different private spaces, if you will. Um, is there is there some way that that you um, can anonymize that camera data as, as you kind of touched on in one of your, your slides there? Uh, yeah, so what that customer is doing is they are at the edge taking the, the video footage and, and they have a computer vision model that's basically doing those counts. So the only thing that comes out from that box uh, to the cloud are, are counts. There's no identifiable information, there's no images, there's no video. The video always stays on premise. You know, it's really just running through that. It's not even getting stored. So. Um, that's one of the reasons that, yeah, the, the customers we know that are doing this like it because it still has that, the the privacy and the confidentiality you expect of like the on-premise uh, and, and you're not sending the video up to the cloud, processing it up here and, and leaking all of that information possibly. Right, right. Okay, great. Um, awesome. Well, thank, thanks so much, Corey. I, I do have some more questions, but I think I'll, la I'll save them to save them to the end. Um, so, so with that, with that being said, I, I'd like to be up our next, uh, our next um, a partner uh, with in Five Q, and they actually have a video that we're going to start with. What makes Five Q unique is that our team of professionals have a deep understanding of this commercial real estate industry and all the clients that we serve in all property types from retail to multifamily to office and industrial our people also have deep knowledge in information technology and in operational technology at the property level that means at all the devices in a building we're very familiar with how to secure those devices how to set up those devices so that they are secure right from the start we work with all aspects of our clients' executive team, IT team, and cybersecurity team to make sure that they have the proper layers of defense for the critical assets that they're trying to protect.
Hey, Jeff. Uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, we have Jeff uh, Ewing from uh, from 5Q, the VP of Security Operations, up next. Can you hear me okay, Jeff? Yep, I am, Andres. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Take it away. All right. Howdy, everyone. Thank you for watching our riveting video. I think we are up for an Emmy, but just miss it slightly. Uh, so, But I'll get into this real quick. Uh, so at 5Q, we're out in the field. We, we're going into the buildings. Uh, we're looking in the MDFs, the IDFs, every floor, every place there's uh, a device, uh, anywhere there's IoT, OT, uh, and IT devices out there. Uh, and what we're seeing, I just want to kind of go over what we, we see a lot almost every day. Um, it starts with the cyber basics. Uh, we're still seeing uh, you know, identity and access management is still a problem. Um, we still need you know, to stop writing down passwords <laughs> on sticky notes and putting them under the keyboard in the engineering rooms. Uh, we need to keep doing those basic things. We're getting better, but we just need better plans for those. Uh, every engineer out there uh, wants to be uh, able to get to his building system remotely from his phone. And that's all fine, but there's, there's very, some very definitive, correct ways to do that that are secure. Um, but we see a lot of easy VPN and team viewers still out there. We want to start trying to get that out, <clears throat> get that out of phase and, and get more secure ways to access things. Things like, you know, the, the zero trust uh, architectures and two or three other ways to do it that, that are perfectly fine. But they also have to managing your identity and your access map. Um, <clears throat> backups are, are uh, we want to make sure people are still doing the basic things like backups. We back up our servers in corporate all the time, all day, every day. Uh, we have, you know, we have mean time to uh, recovery, you know, down to minutes, but BMS configurations, access control servers, surveillance systems, the NVRs, they're not getting backed up as regularly. Uh, and when they are, they're typically on a local drive or it's an old config. It's not done you know, on a monthly or daily basis, for sure. Uh, we've got to start doing that more in the cloud, uh, getting those backed up regularly and monitoring those configurations. And in the configurations too, you know, we, we do a really good job in our corporate IT. Uh, the real estate world has come a long way. We manage our configurations of our servers. We manage the configurations of our switches. We're not able to very well yet manage uh, configurations of an OT device. Uh, how do we know? Maybe we can tell that a something was changed in a BMS config, but do we know exactly what what was changed, when it was changed, who changed it? Uh, the same with access controls and, and all the other OT systems in the building. Are we actually do we have a way to really do that very well? Uh, we're not seeing a lot of interest in that area yet, but people are starting to get there. Which kind of brings me to my next topic of ownership. Um, we don't have a technology problem in the industry when it comes to cybersecurity. We really have an operations problem. There are plenty of tools out there to do lots of things, uh, but it's the operations. It's do we have policies even written for the property level? Do we uh, have someone who's going to enforce those policies at the property level and make sure they're getting done? Um, this is, it's not just an IT group's problem. Uh, you know, people like at Kilroy, you know, the Byron was talking about, you know, their IT and OT groups, they talk all the time, you know, they get it. That's, that's a first big step in getting there. But this whole security thing, it's everyone's problem. We need everyone talking about it, thinking about it, doing the right thing, following the rules. And that helps us make our, our buildings more secure and just our, our, it ensures the better safety. Um, you know, we want to, want to get across to everybody that cybersecurity, uh, regardless of the vertical, cybersecurity is an ongoing program. It's not come in, set it up, leave it for 10 years like a BMS. It's set it up and I got to look at it every single day uh, and keep massaging it, making it better. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Um, when we get to resources, and uh, I think you know, Sandy kind of alluded to this too, that uh, there's there, there's a uh, a lacking in all, not only cyber resources, but now especially OT resources. And I think we have to start looking at getting those building engineers. That role needs to morph a little. Uh, it needs to be more of a role that's not just concerned about this big system right here, but start they understand cloud services, understands data management, data transactions, uh, what the security responsibilities are in those type of transactions. Uh, it's more of that converged ITOT mindset and you know, definitely a hard thing to find, but it's something we can also work together to help uh, you know, teach and learn and educate each other and get what those roles look like. But as we move to you try to force feeding more OT into that IT world, we need those positions to uh, come along as well. The one, the one point that uh, we uh, we all seem to be lacking on is we're, we're monitoring really well at the corporate network. We're monitoring our users, we're monitoring uh, our networks in the corporate office, uh, we're monitoring cloud services, but we're not doing so much monitoring on the OT side. And a lot of it is because there's not a lot of tools that will monitor BACnet IP, Modbus, LonTalk, all these other protocols that are foreign language to your typical IT uh, professional out there. So. Not only you have to monitor those protocols, but you have to be able to look at what is anomalous behavior. Uh, is it, you know, the, the, the OT devices, the old things on an OT network, they don't talk like things on uh, on an IT network. Your switches, your your laptops, your your phones, everything runs uh, on an Ethernet protocol that's very bursty. They're constantly beaconing out, here I am, here I am, here I am, please talk to me. In the OT network, those other protocols aren't that they're not the same way they 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 might speak once a day so how do you gather enough data to understand what's anomalous behavior and what's not so we're working on you know trying to find solutions that help us and looking to vendors to help us understand as an industry how do we monitor these things better to understand what is a security threat when it does come in and then i mentioned earlier ot and an it network um in IT, security is based on confidentiality, integrity, and availability. That's the triad. In the OT world, it's more safety, productivity, and accessibility. Um, that's what the OT, because the OT, if that HVAC system goes out, it's going to affect everybody in that building, not just, you know, kind of your network's down for a day. It's, there's more, uh, more serious repercussions, and it may not as be as easy as rebooting things to get it back online. Uh, things like patch management, you know, in IT, we have Patch Tuesday, yay, but in the OT world, you can't just re readily go patch something immediately when it needs it. There's a lot of other interacting parts, there are systems that may not take the patch, and again, you've got a an IT operating system most likely working on an OT uh, uh, system that's functioning, and you have to try to figure out uh, how do how do we best do this? You've got to call the professionals in. It's a lot bigger scale production to keep things patched in the OT world. Um, and that's largely why they go unpatched. They they sit. You know, uh, someone alluded to it earlier too. This this just the command. Your OT vendors they're expecting that building to sit there for 20, 25 years. So they're they're in, they're gone. Uh, it's not like the IT world, but we got to start thinking how do we do it better. And that brings me to, to the smart building. Uh, I really like uh, Kilroy's approach and uh, getting uh, cyber by design. So you want to bring your cyber engineers or your cyber team or your partners to your design of your smart building and make it a cyber smart building. You can define as they do, you can define everything from the color of wire this vendor gets to use to the number of ports they get, to what protocols they can use, where their signal can be broadcast, how strong their Wi-Fi is. 
you can get very granular in your requirements. And the best part of that is it's repeatable. And once it's, it's repeatable, then it becomes scalable. And if you're you know, looking to, to build a few more buildings in the future, you've now got a, a program that you can put in and you can manage uh, and, and monitor that you know, throughout. And you've, by doing it at the design phase, you cut out a lot of potential headaches after the fact. It's much more expensive to go in after the fact and retrofit things. Uh, I think we all understand that concept. So we, we wanna try to get people thinking cyber by design, get in and, and do it up, right up front. Uh, I would say, I would say to treat cybersecurity in your building uh, just as you would commission any other service. You commission HVAC, you commission the, uh, the security system, you commission access control. You should think of it as commissioning cybersecurity in the building. It's just another exercise. You have all these regulations, you have all these things you think the vendor needs to do, and let's just hold their, hold their feet to the fire and make them do it that way for you, the way you want it done. Uh, and again, to the vendors, you might remember your, your vendors need to have skin in the game. We've seen a lot of contracts that were written for BMS systems specifically uh, and access control systems that are running very old OSs because in the contract, you know, to upgrade to a new operating system requires, you know, a $40,000 investment or, you know, or more uh, because that version you bought. So we need to start putting language in contracts that, you know, may hold the vendors accountable for patching, for upgrading operating systems, for ensuring that that uh, head end does not go end of life while it's running in your building. Uh, they've got to have ownership in this, and I think it rightfully so. They should be responsible for that because they know the most about their systems. Uh, and and getting vendors, and it's not not just the vendors for the systems. Find partners. You know, help find that partner to help you in cyber. Find that partner to help you in IT. Find that partner to help you in OT. Uh, people you can trust and put in, and to help you build these programs. I mean. You're all in real estate, that's your core. Your core is not cybersecurity, but find the people who do that all the time and let them help you uh, and, and add that into your into your daily daily routine and how you think about security and operations of your, of your company. I guess the last thing I'll mention is about comparing notes. The, the question that every single client asks us is how do we compare to our peers? How do we compare to my competitor over here uh, as far as uh, security and maturity and the things we're doing? And, you know, it, We've got a lot of data. We've done over 500 buildings we've assessed, all different types. We've got a lot of data. But a bigger problem is that this industry doesn't, doesn't talk. You know, you're not going to, because we're very, it's a private, mostly, mostly privately held companies, you're not necessarily going to go out and, and tell everybody that you got ransomware last Monday and how it affected you and how they got in. Um, you know, and even the public companies, it's months down the road before you hear about it. But things like the REC, the Real Estate Cybersecurity Consortium that, that, that we've been talking about, uh, there's NDAs in place. It is a safe place. And it is place you can talk to your peers and say, how are you doing this? Uh, hey, we had this happen. Or hey, have you ever had this happen? And people are much more open to talk about it in those concepts. But the more information we can share together, the better we're all going to become as an industry. And that's what we're, you know, 5Q is set up to do is to help us all become more secure. You know, that's, that's our main goal. But uh, that's kind of all I had there, Andres, if you want to. Awesome. I mean, lots of lots of great content, and and, and yeah, good, a good plug for for Rec as well. Um, so so I do appreciate um, you know uh, everything you've you've talked about, and we'll have some questions for you later for sure. Uh, I'd like to tee up our next our next partner here. Um, so I'm, I'm going to uh, ask Stephen Fay to to jump on next. Um, he's the uh, cybersecurity architect at Alberio Energy. Uh, Stephen, can you hear me okay? For Steve, sorry. I, I sure can. Uh, okay, awesome. Over to you. Okay. 
So for those of you who may not be familiar with Alberio, uh, we're a multifaceted uh, provider of uh, of solutions for uh, for building technology across many different aspects. Uh, typically, you think of building automation, but we do lighting and, and access control, power management, and so on. And we do this um, and to, to the point that um, was made earlier by uh, that we don't take cybersecurity as an afterthought. It's it's part and parcel to how we uh, provide the systems and solutions that we that we uh, furnish to our customers. Um, we're very much a uh, an organization that has grown significantly over the over the years. Uh, we're now you know recognized on a worldwide basis. Although most of our operations are in the U.S., but we're now in Asia and also in uh, very much so in Europe as well. So what I wanted to um, use this time for, and I know we're starting to uh, come to come to the end of the presentation time here, but um, I think everybody has that's here and has heard the, the conversations this morning appreciates the fact that OT cybersecurity threats need to be taken seriously. Even though we don't have to publicly announce our uh, when when breaches occur, there's not a requirement for, per se. The, the word's getting out. So whether it's a Wall Street Journal or a Bloomberg or uh, or cybersecurity uh, magazines, um, people are definitely starting to recognize that this is a problem, and has been you know mentioned by several of the other speakers here today. OT systems in many cases are largely unprotected. So we've got to take this stuff seriously and that's what we're here to, to help everybody do. Um, key thing to understand about this world of OT versus IT is that we have operational consequences. Equipment can get damaged. Uh, people can be, uh, can get access to your building and can, and can use you know, cameras to, to spy on individuals. You can literally shut a business down from a continuity standpoint, and ransomware does very much affect our industry. So these are the consequences. The, the, the point here has been made, uh, I think Jeff made it uh, as well as a number of others individuals. In the IT world, things are somewhat homogenous. A server is a server, a laptop and a smartphone are, are very much uh, the same devices regardless where you source them from. Whereas in the world of OT, we're in a very fragmented world. Uh, the, the systems that are used for access control are in many regards very different than that used for building automation, for fire, for lighting control, and so on. And the supply chain of the companies that are providing it are often very fragmented and siloed. So you've got to deal with, uh, with that environment when you're talking about cyber. The risk profile varies widely too. So the, the, the concerns you have in a retail environment versus an office versus a, a, a you know an industrial facility can vary as well. So it's important to understand what your risks really are. And because of the fragmentation, your partnerships with your suppliers are critical. They need to be part of the solution. So that first step is, what is the risk? If, if we did get breached, what does it mean to our business? You gotta ask yourself that question and look at what, uh, am I worried about equipment being destroyed? Am I worried about my building being shut down? Am I worried about my data being extracted? That's the, the, the journey you need to go through or the questions you need to ask yourself. 
coming out of that, you're going to then want to put together policies that reflect the risk that you have for your business. So you need to put a series of operational policies together. And there's a lot of good resources out there in Alberial. Uh, we've actually shared a document here today that you're all welcome to download that talks about the policies for OT that we recommend. And then because the nature of cyber is one that it's not a one and done, it, you have to manage cybersecurity risk on an ongoing basis. So it, it lends itself to services where those services are provided internally by your own staff or in combination with third parties or your uh, providers of, of your automation systems. Uh, services are the key thing to enforcing the policies because the policies are, at the end of the day, just words on a piece of paper. Uh, you need to have active engagement to make sure those policies get enforced. And so the goal here is essentially to create, you know, a moat around your, your building that protects it by, by having the policies in place that are appropriate to your organization and then the services in place to make sure that the policies are enforced. So we're often asked, what are the biggest cybersecurity risks that, that we need to pay attention to? Because there's so much that can be a potential risk, but let's just quickly in these last remaining minutes here, just talk about what are the biggest ones. So in this day and age, we all need to allow our systems to be accessed remotely. Well, that is your probably your biggest single risk uh, in terms of the outside world getting malware into the system or hackers discovering the system. So that means your, your OT systems should never have a, a public facing IP address. It also means that the traffic going over the internet should be encrypted. And so that's that's number one. Number two uh, really is on the server side. If you if you have an on-premise service server, is it backed up regularly? Because that's critical. Um, when ransomware does happen, uh, the quickest solution is to erase everything on the server and reinstall from from yesterday's backup. And in many cases, uh, building owners uh, aren't, aren't even sure where their backup is, let alone know whether it's current or not. And then user administration is critical. So um, employees come and go, and when they're when they do leave the organization, it's 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 really essential that their credentials are removed on a timely basis, like we do in the IT world. But we aren't necessarily nearly as uh, diligent when it comes to the OT world. And last but not least, is to is to keep your software up to date. And so both at the device level and at the server level. So is the, is the operating system kept up to date? Is it being patched properly? Um, and so on. So those are the, the biggest single critical risk. You address these things, you really have, have gone way down the path of, of securing your system on a day-to-day. -day. There's much more that can be included, but these are the big biggest single items. And so to, to achieve that, what does it mean? Well, from a... Um, it means that for that remote access, you're putting in the necessary technology to give you that secure remote access, a zero trust type uh, access into, into, the, into the system uh, that, uh, that ensures that any remote user is fully trusted both at the user level and at the device level. It means that you're backing up your servers every day and you're, you're making sure the server itself is protected and monitored. And lastly, you're keeping your software up to date. So these are the big services that um, that you should, if you don't have them in place, we highly recommend that you do. And Alberio uh, works with our customers and make sure that these things are being addressed uh, on all the systems we provide. Questions? Thanks. 
Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, great presentation. Um, something that, that that actually you and and Jeff uh, both touched on was was backups. You know, backup, backup, backup. You know, every day or every hour or however in depth uh, you know each individual building wants to go. Um, but how about on the restore side? Um, you know, how often do you feel um, you know uh, owners should be restoring uh, their their backups as an exercise uh, to to see that it's actually a valid backup? So one of the policies we push owners to um, adopt if they don't already is a disaster recovery policy. So, and it should be multifaceted. And, and so part of, part of disaster recovery at first is having a plan. What do I do if, if something bad happens? And, and so uh, within that plan, one of the key things is uh, how do I restore a server if, if it gets compromised? And so it's not a, to part of that policy should be you should have a restore a test restore at least once a year into a into a target system to make sure it's ready to go. Everybody knows what to do, and uh, it's not going to be oh my gosh, what do we do? We're all scrambling uh, to deal with this issue. So if you annually do a test restore, you're going to probably be in pretty good shape. So that's our recommendation. Right. Yeah. I mean, always good to, to practice before you're actually uh, putting it into the into the gameplay, if you will. So. So, yeah, exactly. that makes sense to me as well. Um, uh, maybe something else I, I can ask is um, uh, and, and, and it's uh, kind of leans to, to maybe a budget perspective on uh, on the asset manager side uh, in terms of ROI. Like what are maybe some of the three top um, cybersecurity risks that, that you would mention from on the OT side? So. <laughs> The audience may not realize that if your if your OT system happens to be public facing and you don't know that, there are websites that are well known to the industry and to the uh, cyber criminals. Uh, Census and Shodan are two examples of that, where you can go out and discover whether your particular building, your particular systems, have public facing IP addresses. Um, so that's a typical. Um, exercise that we will do on behalf of our clients to find out if that's really the case or not. Um, so, because that's really bad, needless to say. Um, and and so those, those platforms scour the web for many different, all kinds of IT, you know, exposed systems. And, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of OT systems and industrial control systems that have public facing IP addresses. So that's, uh, uh, something that you should absolutely do is make sure that you're not public facing. And if you are, then put an end to that as fast as possible. And, and that's publicly, like that's public information, right? Or, or it's available on those sites that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. You can literally type in the name of your, your IP address and look it up and uh, find yeah. out if it's there. Yeah. I think uh, the guy from view mentioned that one, um, they had a customer that had something like 1,500 devices. So if you have uh, if you have a BACnet system with a, a BBND on it, um, and that's public facing, you can literally take down take the building down. Is that is that dangerous? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, with with your company, uh, Robbie, your energy being being worldwide, um, do you do you feel or do you see that uh, a lot of these uh, problems on the OT side are, are you know, very repeatable. It doesn't matter kind of where you are or, or, or are we facing different 
different cyber threats in different regions of the world? Um, I would say it's pretty repeatable, frankly. Uh, the the where as an industry, uh, I, li I, li I like to use the word the phrase crawl, walk, run, and we're somewhere between the crawl and the, and the walk stage. So the kinds of um, sophistication and maturity for us as an industry, we're still relatively as an industry uh, early stage. And so and it's true across across the board. Great, great. Um, I'd like to bring bring back the rest of the uh, the panelists. Uh, thank, thanks very much, Steve, but but uh, don't go anywhere yourself either, as, okay. uh, as we'll bring the rest of the, the team back on here. So so thanks very much uh, for, for everybody's uh, for everybody's input. Um, something myself that, that that I took away or am taking away from this is is definitely um, you know standardization um, or or you know having repeatable processes. Um, so um, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to pick on anyone and, and everybody feel free also to to chime in. But um but you know uh, along along your journeys um, and and. Uh, and uh, and maybe I'll maybe I'll pick on somebody just to, just to get things started, but uh, but Byron Kilroy seems to have you know a really good good grasp on on, on all those processes. Um, uh, have you have you found that uh, that there's been uh, maybe a silver bullet or, or or something specific to that standardization process that can help um, you know other owners um, down that journey? Yeah, no, I think for us the biggest thing was bringing all the functional teams together and agreeing that we needed a standard, right? Making sure that everybody said, yes, this is what we're missing, this is what we're lacking. Um, it's interesting, I heard somebody yesterday say, you know, the best thing that you can do in the smart building industry is buy your colleagues a drink to make sure that they can come in and, and have goodwill with you. All right, so that's one of the things that we had internally was talking to all of our functional teams. What does sustainability, what does legal think, what does engineering think? Engineering is a big thing, right? Especially for us, because they're, they're running these buildings. They know the buildings in and out, it's their babies. Uh, so if you break it, you might not be good with them. So uh, making sure that there is a cross-functional team that makes approaches together, that makes planning together, and that you guys agree, right? And that you listen to everybody. I think it's been the, the biggest piece for us. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, uh, and and something, I guess, to, to those to those processes, to that standardization, Jeff, Jeff touched on um, how, um, you know, you should be bringing in uh, cyber as part of an element of, of building operation, if you will, just like the EMS mm -hmm. or CCTV, um, you know, to bring that cyber group in uh, early. Um, uh, Sandy, I don't know if that's something maybe you can you can comment on, uh, on, on how uh, your group approaches, you know, either existing uh, renovations or, or new developments. Well, I mean, I can um, answer it in that respect is that, um, yes, it definitely has to be something that everybody owns, this, the, the cyber risk or, um, compliance to it um, but one thing that you can do to make sure that everybody is ready for it as I've mentioned is um, having like simulating some sort of an uh, issue like either if it's like a uh, an outage that um, build brings down the building system so that you can make sure that the building operators are able to still maintain operations without having to send everybody home or even more importantly to have those um, like simulate there's some sort of a cyber incident and and, and they've become pretty creative, like even some of the uh, phishing emails that you get. So you have to be pretty good about um, uh, uh, making up a scenario and it's believable that you know there's been a cyber incident and making sure that it's quickly identified and, and folks know how to um, identify it and escalate it and don't feel like, oh, I don't wanna tell anyone then this means that I'm gonna get in trouble. No, you're not gonna get in trouble. 
we just need to know about it so that we can quickly respond to it. Yeah. Right, I can add to that real quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, bringing cyber so that the users understand. I know, I think Jeff and, and Sandy mentioned was, you know, your property managers, it's always about accessibility, right, availability. But they might not understand that you're putting in firewalls and policies in place because it's going to make it easier and safer for them. And you're still going to give them accessibility from home, right? If you do it right, it's still going to work. It's just done right. And you might just have to explain to them, look, this is the reason why it has to be behind a firewall. It can't just connect to, you know, your web browser on every single device. It has to be given certain authority, has to be permissioned correctly. And that's going to make our lives easier down the road. Yeah, I would say, I would add to that, that uh, and not only simulating an attack, but when you do your tabletops, if you're already doing them at the corporate level, do some for the property. Invite the building engineer and the property manager to your corporate office or into your tabletop scenario and make that scenario about them. I can't tell you the number of times I've had them, and the building engineer was very disinterested in the beginning, wondering why they're even there. And by the end of it, they were <laughs> elbows on the table, they're engaged, they go, okay, I have a list of things I have to do. And they get it when they're getting involved, but it's involving everybody in that education piece. Yeah, no, that, that, for sure. No, that, that, that's great. Um, uh, and, and something I, I had interest in as well, just shifting gears a bit here, is is um, is to touch back to um, to view and and you know some of the or orchestration, some of the cloud pieces that, that, that they're really driving towards. Um, do you see any of your uh, customers or, or clients um, that are looking at developing maybe even a, like a SOC or like some kind of operations center plan? You know, as you're consolidating or, or as you're um, getting all that data up to the cloud, now you can have you know multiple layers of users access it. So just interested in seeing if you're seeing that in the you know in the asset management or operation world. Uh, definitely, and I, I think it even relates to the the previous topic around the standardization, where you know it, it particularly with you know acquisitive uh, real estate companies, you know the portfolio is always changing. You may not be able to standardize everything about the building, but at least pulling all that data up to one single kind of knock, sock, whatever, to kind of have the standard visibility. Um, so you at least know what's going on. You might not, you know, it might not be consistent, but at least you have that visibility. We, most of our customers, that's kind of, you know, step one and a half or two is just trying to push that stuff up to a centralized, you know, database, data management layer, whatever it is to, to, to have that visibility. Got it, got it. And maybe maybe to stay stay with you for a second, Corey, as well. I know we just a grab a question from the audience. They had mentioned um, you know, about you know something that Jeff and Steve touched on was was backups. Uh, um so so you uh, is maybe there's no right or wrong answer and, and maybe it isn't all, you know just directed just at you, Corey, but is there a preference? Uh, the question is, is there a preference between a cloud backup and an on-prem backup? I don't know if you have a comment on that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, I kind of think it usually depends on on the organization, but uh, or you know, I often see both. You know, kind of backup everywhere and as much as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, having good secure cloud backup at least gives you um, you know offsite <laughs> uh, and that yeah. level of security. But um, you know, it, I've seen it a couple different ways. Um, I don't. I don't have a preference. For sure. I, any, any, I go ahead, Sandy. I mean, I would say the preference is not to have local backup because, um, you know, I think my husband, like, what, 10 years now when um, there was Hurricane Sandy <laughs> that hit and there was a lot of, I know, I got a lot of grief for that. Um, the, the, there was <laughs> a lot of damage so that there were some buildings that, you know, if they had the physical infrastructure and the flooding ruined it and, and destroyed it, so your backup is useless at that point. So 
I would say, you know, the moving away from physical infrastructure is actually for us actually prefer. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, uh, and and maybe to turn it over to, to some of the, the security partners or, or, or to, all, to Steve, uh, maybe on the Alberio side, um, maybe are there things that, uh, that that your group has seen on the physical side, you know, kind of speaking to Sandy's point where, you know, a hurricane kind of, you know, destroyed a bunch of backups. Are there some things that um, that asset managers or operations teams can do from a physical perspective? Like, is there like a quick hit list, uh, if you will, of things that they can do from a cyber perspective? Yeah, so location of, of critical systems is, ma management of the location of your systems is, is very important, okay? So your servers, if, if they're located in the engineer's office and that office is uh, one that you can literally walk into, uh, not a, you know, put access control on the door as a minimum, but better, our, our advice really is take the server out of that office, put it in a computerized rack that's environmentally controlled and protected. Um, like you would any other server, right? So, uh, and then any your your major control products should be in locked cabinets. So those are basic yeah. hygiene that that should be followed without exception. Uh, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of buildings that are that way. I, I list one of the uh, one of the uh, participants um, asked a question about um, about uh, using putting putting the users on domains, uh, using something like Active Directory to manage your users. Um, absolutely, wherever possible. And that's, and that's the question possible, okay. So, so many of the OT systems have their own unique user uh, uh, definitions and, and software that, that allows you to create and manage the users. And not all of the products that are out there will lend themselves to using Active Directory as an example or LDAP. So, but the more that we can move in that direction, the far easier it's going to be to manage users, um, <coughs> manage your users. So, uh, I, I strongly encourage the industry. We strongly encourage the industry to to adopt that approach wherever and whenever possible. Great, thanks, Steve. Um, and go, going back to one of the questions from the audience as well, um, and, and maybe Jeff, I'll I'll leave this one up to you as as you spoke, um, you know, a, a bit about. Uh, you know, building management systems and how protocols and, and, and the way that they speak is different. Um, one of the questions was, is there a preferred language uh, if we're speaking uh, strictly BMS here that uh, that would be advised? Uh, there's, there's, there's just too many. Um, it's, you know, it's more important to standardize on a system. So if you want to be a, a training company, be a training company. If you want to be uh, Tritium, be Tritium. But Standardize on that vendor rather than trying to find an OS, but also find the vendors that maybe you want to integrate with things that you have built in house or other systems. So is it a vendor that has an API? Now, if you go down that road, you start to talk about languages and you're getting that detailed. You want somebody on your staff that understands all that stuff. You need the programmer mm -hmm. on your staff. You want somebody, you can't just rely on the vendor to always do that for you. You want to have that expertise in house too, which not, not a lot of real estate companies have. And right. if I can yeah. add to that, I, I, mm -hmm. I think one of the big things is also that as asset managers and we're either selling or buying right all the time. So mm -hmm. you might not be able to standardize on that. So but you can standardize on the infrastructure that's connected to it. Right. You can standardize on how you're getting into these systems, how you're connecting these services. Um, so, you know, we have 100 plus buildings 
and a handful of different systems that need to connect, right? If I tell somebody I need to rip that out because it's not a standard, uh, somebody's gonna look at me and tell me I'm crazy because it's you know expensive. But the infrastructure that connects to that is the easiest one that you can kind of retrofit, right? Get away from unmanaged switches, start creating VLANs, start managing services, making sure that there is you know, connectivity that's purposeful, right? It's not just connecting there because it has to connect when somebody thinks it has to. Figure out what the business need is and then deploy it that way. Because uh, that's probably going to make it easier for you. Yeah, and, and, and I think standards is a big play here on the OT security side, right? Like where, you know, maybe you don't even, like you mentioned, maybe you don't even need to have, um, you know, systems reach out at all, right? So standardize on, on having that traffic being, you know, isolated um, or or in the case of, of you, you know, having just specific traffic go out to the cloud, right? And and go nowhere else, right? So, so that it can only be accessed from, from certain locations. Um, uh, uh, yeah, maybe we can touch more on, uh, on 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 those standardizations um, and and uh, and maybe Corey or Jeff or, or Steve, can you comment on any maybe specifics around how businesses should be connecting to the cloud? Um, you know, obviously there's there's many ways to do it, and, and probably some better than others. But but are there um, you know uh, for those folks that are definitely looking at going hybrid, is there a preferred method uh, of, of communicating from you know your built environment to the cloud? I mean, I can I can jump in and know you know how some people are using it. I know actually Byron relies on it a lot, but you know like our SD WAN connectivity is is like kind of SD WAN tunnels going direct to the cloud seems to be um, a lot where our customers are going. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from Jeff. He's probably hitting on more <laughs> instances. Yeah, I mean, there's there are several ways to do it, but uh, we see a lot of clients using uh, they've gone with you know a zero trust architecture or they're going with something else that it has an app that has an app that's on your phone that can give you MFA. So as long as you can get a multi-factor authentication, it's it still you can yes, multi-factor can be hacked, but it's better than not having it. It's better than the easy VPN, the team viewer that's out there where all the vulnerabilities are published on the web for anybody to find. So finding something that can at least give you two to maybe three factors to get a little more deep, but something that has that agent that uh, is consistent across all of your engineers for all of your properties. Uh, so it's a consistent look and feel for everybody. Uh, you can also want something that'll give you vendor control. Um, preferably, you know, a lot of the, the zero trust arcs have this where it's, it's time boxed. I can give Corey can log into that access controller into his system between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. And then it's just shut off. So he better get his job done. Um, that's you can so you can time box things so that you control how people are getting in. It's not just wide open for anybody to log on anytime they want and, and do whatever they want. It's it's managed in a way. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, maybe I'll shift gears again. Um, and, uh, and and this one directed at, at Sandy. Um, so um, uh, obviously uh, from from this panel at least, uh, the most assets under management, the most square footage you know must be generating a ton uh, you know of iot data um you know is there is there uh, maybe something you can touch on on how you're using that data yeah i mean i think one thing is that everybody tries to like jump on the data thing and you know collect 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 and really um it's very important to step back and see what is it that you're trying to do instead of uh, you know what the end goal is so there's a lot of possibilities like you know you have to focus on the data elements, what's the angle, what are you trying to do? But yes, you know, we've been pretty busy in terms of what we're trying to do, um, you know, with uh, IoT devices, which, you know, that collect and transmit a lot of important data. 
we kind of try to do that to kind of look at you know the future the growth what are we trying to do what are what do our tenants which are federal agencies are trying to do um, uh, we've done a lot so um, we're trying to do um, environmental occupancy you know um, uh, sensor data especially with with COVID that became a pretty big deal with with occupancy uh, we're doing a lot with electric vehicle charging stations you know we have um, uh, sustainability metrics that we have to meet um, one of our flagship projects that was the GSA link um, which is a national um, initiatives for uh, uses building systems performance data to you know, apply uh, fault detection diagnostics to monitor and track operations and, and it sends alerts when something a piece of equipment is not functioning properly um, you know we, we do a lot to actually modernize our platforms to consolidate them and not have a lot of different um, systems that do kind of different thing but it really makes sense to have one system that uh, really encompasses different components um, so yeah, I mean, uh, definitely a lot of work that we've done in that realm, try to do it, but um, just just kind of having, make sure to know that it's not just about collecting data, but really what your end goal is um, and what you're trying to do so that you're not wasting time collecting all that. Great, yeah, I mean, similarly, you know, Quadril has taken um, some of the data that, that we are gathering from a, from a cleaning or sanitization perspective as well, right? So if, um, you know, an elevator gets used, let's say, you know, 200 times, you know somebody come in and clean it or if the lobby is you know typically a vacant at a particular hour now's a good time to, to clean it kind of thing right so so yeah definitely using those occupancy uh, measures from a like a COVID standpoint definitely drove those things forward uh, on, on a cleanliness perspective um i'm going to turn things over to really anybody in this one so this one is is, is from the audience um well, and it speaks to um, to state level privacy requirements and, and and changing the strategies around advanced technology. So uh, an example that they that they provided was was biometrics. Um, so um, they're asking what impacts does it have on cybersecurity and strategies that, that are used to to implement these these types of technologies. Just if I can, it's it's funny because that actually just came up here at GSX and how we're not looking at facial recognitions, but it's appearance identification, right? especially because it's state recommendations with the CCPA, GDPR, all those things changing and how we're going to be able to use cybersecurity. Uh, but if it's implemented into IoT and OT devices, that's one of the big questions that we had with our engineering team, right? Do we want that to be a bottleneck? Do we want a card or a biometric or something that has you know, recognition that requires more than multi-factor authentication? How is that going to slow down the team? Um, how is that going to make it harder for the engineers to get into the building, especially at, say, 2, 3 in the morning when the IT team is hopefully sleeping because everything's working correctly? Uh, but what happens if that becomes a bottleneck at 2 or 3 in the morning? You can't get a hold of IT and then the building's, you know, burning down. Uh, so that's one of the things that you have to consider as to how much security for OT is, is too much. Right? It has to be a balance, that pyramid, right? And IT security is at the top, but in OT, it's accessibility and access to your system. So you have to find a balance in between that. So biometrics are there. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be using them to that scale that we use them on the IT infrastructure side or on the enterprise side, but we will be using them at some point. And I, I've seen, you know, also one other approach is making sure to take like a privacy centric design approach when it comes to the IoT side, um, you know, because there's a lot of devices out there that can get a lot of data, but you really should only collect the data you need you know, and really looking at every data point through that privacy lens so that if you're yeah, going to be, you know, collecting information, is it 
could it be private? And then if it could be private, do you actually need that information? Like you need a specific use case to start to collect it. Um, because I have seen a lot of companies just saying like, oh, you know what, we can put cameras in every room and kind of collect what's going on. And like, you know, do you need that? Maybe not, you know, think twice about it. Yeah, no, great, great points. Um, uh, maybe Steve, if I can, if I can ask you uh, another question there, um, and it's something that you touched on in your slides, and it was around risk risk profiling. So um, obviously, different assets have have different kinds of risks. Um, is there is there maybe like a like a scorecard or, or a playbook that you might be able to share with us on on how to determine those types of risks for the different types of assets? So yeah, when when we go through a, that analysis, we've got a um, essentially a, a simple questionnaire tool that we use. Uh, to evaluate the risk profile of, of a customer. Uh, and, you know, we look at um, you know, what kind of a building is it? Uh, what, what, what is the business that the building has? Does it have tenants or is it just a corporate facility? And then we look at uh, then specific things around the operation of, for example, if ransomware were to hit, what does it mean? Would it literally shut the business down or not? Um, and and so and then at the end we basically score in very simple terms is that this is a low risk facility this is sort of a medium risk and this is a high risk so um you know high risk would be something like a, a university campus or a uh, a hospital uh, you know whereas uh, something like a strip mall a retail store and strip mall is generally going to come up low risk uh so because you know all these all the things that we've been talked about here today you can go pretty crazy from an expenditure standpoint to protect against anything and everything. And a lot of buildings aren't gonna be able to afford that. So you gotta be practical. And that's why we talked about the, the sort of the three or four big things that every building should consider. Um, and being, you know, in this day and age, remote communications is essential. So we go in with a zero trust security appliance that's easy to install, that doesn't require specific IT skills, and allows us to manage all those remote users very securely. Um, so that's our that's our starting point. And then from there, once we know we have secure access, we can then make sure we can do backups and any of the other uh, security uh, services that need to get done. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Good. Good. Andres, great job. You did a fantastic job moderating today. Really do appreciate it. And thanks all to the panelists for your valuable contributions today. A uh, lot of great questions from the audience, so that was good. Uh, there's a couple we didn't get to. I'll send those out to the to the panelists so they can follow up. Uh, the, the experience here is just fantastic. We probably could have ran, ran on for at least another half hour, and uh, uh, but we are out of time. So uh, whether you've joined us uh, live or watching this as a recording, we do thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for our next webinar in the cybersecurity and privacy series. It's called Privacy on uh, September the 22nd. Great panel. I've had a chance to talk with each of these members already during a planning session. We should have recorded it because it was just fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this one. So be sure and sign up for that one. Uh, that'll be followed by part one of our Top of Mind series about ESG, environmental, social and governance on October 6th. And finally, be sure to register for Cortec happening on November the 15th in San Jose. So again, thanks to our panel, our sponsors, our 
our live audience, our guests. Uh, we just uh, really couldn't do any of this without you. So really do appreciate it. That's it for us today. We wish you all well. Be safe. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thanks.